Welcome to Pros Tinted Glasses. I'm Katie. And I'm Bailey. And we are going to be talking about um, monster book boyfriends this week. We got to stick with that spooky season feeling just a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know we're technically past Halloween, but it is always Halloween in my heart. So we're going to just keep going. Yes, Katie will never stop celebrating. She is wearing a thematic spooky shirt today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually Halloween pajamas, and I do have uh, a matching pair for my dog, Bruce. Are you going to get Dolly one? Uh, I don't know how she's going to do in clothes. We haven't gotten that far yet, but it's definitely a possibility. Okay, if you do, I demand pictures. Thank you. Of course, of course. Um, So when we do say monster boyfriends, uh, we generally do mean partners, Unfortunately, a lot of um, monster partner history has been pretty straightforwardly um, heterosexual. And we'll kind of get into some of the reasoning for that, I think, later. Not super fun. Mm -hmm. But there are a few um, partners. So we'll we'll just get in there. Yeah, I think at least a couple of our examples, or at least one of them for sure, is uh, a gay love story. But... The monster boyfriend is still a boyfriend, so it terminology works. just sticks. But uh, if you have recommendations for monster book girlfriends or other monster book partners, we would love them. But in our research, it's mostly been boyfriends. Right. So traditionally, in addition to being a boyfriend, the monster boyfriend book has the main protagonist as fully human or appearing appearing to be fully human in that whatever powers they may have are dormant. Yeah, I was thinking about all the different types of monster boyfriends there are, and I was like, oh, well, you know, there are, like, witch and wizard paranormal romances. But I think in so many of those, the protagonist, like, also has powers or is also a witch or wizard, and so I don't think it quite fits the spirit of what we're talking about. Right, and I can think of a book where... Like, the protagonist is a a witch, but then the monster boyfriend is a vampire. So it's kind of like, is it really a monster boyfriend story if they're both part of that monster community, quote unquote? Also, are you, is the book you're referring to A Discovery of Witches? Because I have recently started it. Yes. (laughs) Cool. I'm like a third of the way into the first one. Okay, Um, perfect timing for Halloween. Yeah, actually, so I'll, we'll probably talk about this in the episode you've already heard since we're recording out of order. Yes, yay. I also do want to say that we will not be talking about monster fucking books here. Uh, that is a different category. <laughs> yeah, I have been on Tumblr for a long time, and I feel like in the past few years, the rise, it's like, I've been calling it internally the rise of the monster fuckers, like the people who just really love monsters and you know would like to have sexual relations with them and that's it that's on tumblr but it's also in like the more traditional like self-published romance book sphere um a few weeks ago on tiktok the the book about minotaur milking was going around and people were all excited about it and if you like that stuff totally good for you happy for you that it's out there um we're going to be talking more about the like mainstream successful novels mostly in like the ya new adult spaces um more than like true romance novels yeah i'm just not 
really into the romance novel thing and definitely have not read many of those books. So uh, if that's what you're here for, I'm sorry. That's not today's topic. Today's topic is about uh, uh, monster boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And there is a long and rich history of monster boyfriends. So I, in doing some research for this episode, found a, a really nifty infographic called I mean, about the history of paranormal romances. And this one's from www.kirstenfay.com. And I think it basically, we can trace it all the way back to gothic novels, which became popular in like the mid to late 1700s. And those were all like very atmospheric, very dark. We started seeing like some monsters in them. And then in 1897, we got Dracula, which was basically the creation of the modern vampire right um and most of the myths that we still use today come from dracula or at least a large portion of them okay or can be traced back even if on the surface you're like huh are you sure Mm -hmm. after uh dracula i guess the uh mid-1900s featured a lot of bodice rippers if you don't know what a bodice ripper is be like our friend zach and google it before replying to the group message (laughs) Yeah, but this is just the rise of the, like, really steamy romances that I think really paved the way for, um, really what the modern romance landscape looks at today. I think, actually, that at the time, they were, like, so steamy, and, like, men couldn't handle it and thought they were ridiculous and started, like, this is where, like, the derision of romance as a genre kind of came from. But it still laid the foundation for a lot of the more, like, spicy romance novels that we still see today. Which led to Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice, which was in 1973. Yeah, this is not, I mean, they're not direct, like, Interview with a Vampire is not a bodice ripper, but I think this is where these two, like, previously completely separate genres of, like, romance that was getting really really steamy and then like gothic novels and monster novels started to kind of uh veer towards each other you know it's definitely a horror novel um but it was you know there there were some erotic undertones i feel especially i've actually never read the book but i have seen the movie and it was a a formative experience for me i have never done either so oh you totally should watch the movie it's very good Okay. Um, it's got, like, uh, Brad Pitt and young Tom Cruise. It's great. guess I can always watch young Tom Cruise. But if I need the fix, I usually just watch the volleyball scene in Top Gun. You know what? You're so right. Then 1987 is what this timeline that I found contributes or um, posits is one of the very first, like, confirmed supernatural creature that appeared as a romantic interest. Uh, and that book's called The Ivory Key by Rita Clay Estrada. And I believe that the monster boyfriend was a ghost. I guess that's a little little Casper-esque, which is probably the wrong way around. Because <laughs> Casper probably came after. <laughs> but um, Casper's mm-hmm. the ghost boyfriend for the younger set. Mm-hmm. And another very formative movie from my childhood. Yes. And then I think what really led to the like rise in popularity, or at least what this timeline attributes the rise in popularity to is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which came out in 97. Did you ever watch Buffy, 
Bailey? Um, here and there. Never as a continual, like, watching it for the continual through line of plot. Mm-hmm. But I definitely agree that, like, Buffy was the start of extremely mainstream sort of monster potential romantic interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I didn't watch it at all, like, during that time period. But I remember, for some reason, vividly, we were at my grandmother's house and one of my older cousins was there and he turned on Buffy and my mom was like, no, she can't watch that. She's too young. So I must have been like six, maybe. Um, but that's that was my like childhood memory of Buffy. I was going to say the first run through of Buffy was when I was like when I was five. So mm-hmm. I definitely didn't watch it as it came out. Yeah. But it featured heavily on reruns. For sure. I don't think I ever saw a rerun, but a few years ago, I did finally binge watch it. And, you know, I think it holds up a lot in a lot of ways. But I definitely see what, like, why there was so much zeitgeist for it at the time. Oh, yes. It was, it was a thing. I mean, it still is. I feel like you, it happens a lot. It gets referenced. Mm-hmm. So, then I feel like moving into, quote unquote, our time a little bit more and focusing back down on books one of the the first book boyfriends i can remember is gotta be like the fae fairies Mm -hmm. i didn't read most of these books that you referenced or at least not the old the the early ones like the holly black ones yeah so that's referencing like teeth and valiant and ironside in 2002 through 2007 um, and that was really my first introduction, I think, to, like, the fairy boyfriend type thing. Because in Teeth, um, one of the characters does end up with a fae. But I, even though this guy was supposed to be the quote-unquote, like, good guy out of all of them, they were really more... And this is all in comparison to, like, modern modern fairies in books. They were colder and much more different and cruel and really heavily relied on like the trickster like never trust a fairy thing because they can't tell the truth but that doesn't mean that they're or they can't tell the truth they can't tell a lie but that doesn't mean they're telling you the whole truth Mm -hmm. and this relied really heavily on them being like sly and underhanded and very discernibly not human even when she didn't know that they were fae. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and drop the wise man's fear in here because I feel like it doesn't fit in either category very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But when, and I'm going to say it wrong because I read books and not listen to the audiobooks and then never bother to learn how to pronounce a character's name. Florian. Florian. Um, I feel like it's most decidedly not human, and it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, she, like, speaks in verse and, like, hangs around naked and does magic. I think in building my research for this, I really neglected one elf girlfriend. Arya from Aragon. Yes. Um, I don't remember enough about Aragon to confirm or deny, but I believe you. I think that you have a lot more knowledge base. <laughs> I was going to say that was a very long pause. Well, I mean, I guess it's tricky because he was fully human um, before he became a dragon rider. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry. I mean, isn't that the... I mean, the, the book does have a dragon on the cover. That's the premise <laughs> of the books, I feel. Um, I feel like that's fair. But it's also a very old book at this point. Yeah, true. <laughs> Again, like the the elves in this book, which uh, elves and fairies are kind of... I don't want to go into a deep discussion about the exact line drawn between those two groups of supernatural creatures, um, but they're much more like musical and still very cold and removed, aloof, and tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, like, generally just, like, this this type of fae is very different from um, the one that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And so it was just worth pointing out that some of the earliest examples of this monster book taxonomy um, had a version of of fairies and fae and elves that was quite different than what eventually became popular. Right. Well, everything is always changing because the next thing that we have is vampires. Because we already talked about the start of like vampire lore Mm -hmm. and things like that. But those vampires were extremely different than the like mid-aughts, late-aughts vampire boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about like Dracula and Nosferatu and like they were all like they were monsters that you did not want to make your boyfriend like they preyed on women and they were very much like scary horror characters but like I have to think that there was at least based on viewing society today like I have to believe that there was some element of like eroticism or like forbiddenness that made them so popular even if there wasn't like overt romance involved i i tend to agree with you especially when you say like how how we can see it today i also mm-hmm. yeah like you pointed out like how they prey on women that power dynamic and forbiddenness like that is definitely an interesting mm-hmm. point and probably why they're still talked about so much and that has evolved into multiple types of vampires i mean we can talk about uh vampire diaries and how much more like desirable those vampires are to certain audiences than other types of vampires Mm -hmm. versus like the like scary predator type vampires in in some media like i think i never watched true blood but like those were like scary vampires right i mean they were still there was still a lot of like romance etc but i think that they were much more like scary and dangerous than the cw show Right. I think one of the things about the vampire boyfriend is there always seems to be an element of not quite like a succubus, but still an element where the vampire sort of makes you want to be more interested in them, even though you know it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely played very like low level in Twilight because it's played as part of the romance and not part of like Edward being a vampire. Mm -hmm. But still it exists. Yeah, and I mean, I think that traces all the way back to, you know, Dracula, where they, like, put women under their spell because they're so, like, compelling compulsion, um, which is, like, a, a, like, full plot point in the Vampire Diaries where they have, like, a power called compulsion that they can use or not use. Right. And that's what I think how it all ties together um, that makes it hard to tease out the exact origins of everything and every part of this is because the compulsion is no longer as on the surface, but it's played in the subtext for a lot of the more modern 
tellings of, of vampires. Yeah. And I, I know we've like touched on it a couple of times, but I really just don't think that we can understate how big Twilight was, um, just like generally in the general population, but specifically, I think, for the expansion of this like monster boyfriend fervor. Right. I There's really nothing. If you weren't there for like the Twilight mania, there's really no way that I could describe to you what it was like for that. And then the spate of like related books that gained popularity or that were written because of Twilight's popularity. So it it became a whole thing. Mm-hmm. I we can skip to werewolves if you want. Angels, I was again in my research, I came across a handful of books that where there were angel boyfriends, including um Shiver by Maggie Stiefvater? Stiefvater? Um, Wait, no, sorry. Shiver is a werewolf. Including Fallen by Lauren Kate, which was about a human girl moving to a new school and falling in love with an angel. And then Hush 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 by Becca Fitzpatrick, which was also about an angel. And these both came out in like 2010-ish, which was right around the time Twilight was getting popular. And I'm not sure if like these were big or if um they were just kind of overshadowed by twilight but this was uh in early 2010 both of these books were on the new york times bestsellers list in like the top 10 i have never heard of any of them Mm -hmm. i was i was reading it and i was like i don't know any of these the only Mm -hmm. yeah i know nothing and i don't remember and the closest thing I can think of to an angel is all, like, fallen angels, like, Buffy and Supernatural and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, but apparently there was a pocket of these, at least. Um, I think, for me, they they were far outshone by vampires. Because even beyond Twilight, there was Melissa de la Cruz's Blue Bloods, mm-hmm. which started in 2006 and sort of ran through... 2010-ish. I stopped reading them after a little while, but they were about a family of vampires who were like New York's rich elite. Mm. Hence Blue Bloods. And so yeah, they're... That actually, I really like that pun. That's really funny. Their vampire um, tendencies weren't towards like the super erotic or the super scary. It was just like, that's why these families are so rich and powerful and they have to do this, that, and the other. And it's a big play for power. And I remember reading those, and it just felt very different than Twilight because the vampires were different. Um, and there might have been angels. It's been so long since I read that series, but yeah, mm-hmm. I I just don't feel like angels even registered on my radar. And I also wonder if part of the lack of angels is um, just very fraught with like a lot of connection that some of these other animals don't have to like what would be considered the main religion. So obviously, a lot of like religious and and cultural beliefs feature different monsters, but um, Catholicism being a driving force in a lot of U.S. media, unfortunately, mm-hmm. really meant that angels yeah. might have been like a tough subject. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point that it felt more um, taboo to get into for a lot of authors. That's yes. interesting. That just occurred to me while speaking. So, um, but speaking of Twilight, I love it when you have like a revelation. Which also feels like a pun. Sorry about that. It was not on purpose. Oh, no. <laughs> it was an accident. Anyways, werewolves. 
Werewolves. Speaking of Twilight. There definitely were other werewolf books. The one that I accidentally started reading the name of earlier, Shiver by Maggie Stiefvater, um, is about a human girl falling in love with a werewolf. But I don't really remember a lot of other werewolf books that got it as big as Twilight. No, werewolves always felt more like the like not lovable monster, except in Twilight. And then, you know, I feel like we've talked about this before. I've never watched Teen Wolf. All of my Teen Wolf experience is is Tumblr. Um, sorry. Side note: Speaking of Teen Wolf, there is gonna be a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's been a wild ride for Teen Wolf. Yeah, so I do think we're going to make you watch Teen Wolf in advance of the movie so that we can talk about that. I'll probably try. Um, (laughs) We'll see how it goes. Uh, But anyway, yeah, Teen Wolf was very big. And, uh, you know, as Bailey is a prime example of, it even kind of expanded past its, like, typical fandom and just invaded everything on Tumblr, which was, as we know, the, like, prevailing platform for fandom at the time. Yes. Um, And... It also used a lot of other supernatural like creatures and elements, but at the heart of it was these are these werewolves are hot and you should want to date them. And you should ship them with each other. Mm-hmm. For sure. I I feel like after that, I after Teen Wolf, which is probably on the tail end of a lot of these trends, there really hasn't been a huge trend in monster boyfriends since then. I mean, up until the one we're getting ready to talk about. But yeah, I think you're right. Well, yeah, this was my lead in. This was my transition. I'm sorry, I ruined your transition. (laughs) I was just, I wanted to bring up that, like, I'm wondering if there was a period of time where there, like, was a prevailing monster boyfriend and the books just never became super, super popular and we just weren't aware of them because this would have been in, like, like, 2013-ish to 2018-ish when we were in, like, late college and just weren't participating in those spaces enough. It's it's probable. Mm-hmm. So I guess if anybody has any um, monster boyfriends we missed from that from that era, let us know what scene we missed. But in the meantime, it it seems like uh, the fairies are back. Faye are back. Mm-hmm. Faye are back. And uh, so I have not yet read any of the prevailing books with with Faye boyfriends um so i'm gonna rely on bailey a lot for this but did you read folk of the air by holly black or not even that i haven't yet i have i have whatever the first one is downloaded i wasn't sure because later on in the notes you make a reference to tales and so uh. well so it's it's just from cultural osmosis things that i've like picked up yes but no i have not read it yet Uh, a lot of the more modern fairies are like hot buff dudes that are not discernibly not human except that they're more powerful um and and they're certainly less trickstery like there's certainly less um going on that is the focus of them being untruthful on purpose like i feel like that just taking a back seat and like i said even in holly black's books the difference in the years and what she's written but then also in, like, Akatar being the main example, all of the main fae are, like, big, tall, strong dudes with big wingspans. Yeah, so, I like, I guess they have wings, which is going to answer the question I was about to ask. But, like, my impression of A Court of Thorns and Roses and that whole universe 
to now has been that they're they're just basically humans, but we call them fairies because they're scarier, or maybe because like the fae is like a separate realm, and so like by they do live in a separate realm. She had to like cross the wall to get to them. Mm-hmm. But like that separate realm is they're they're just like basically humans. It's it's basically human in that realm, except that they live in in the fae realm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it comes with like. You know, they do have, like, power and their buildings aren't the same or whatever. But, like, there are, are scenes where they, like, go shopping or go out to a pub. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. I It's just, it feels less monstery and more just, like, oh, sweet, hot dude. But he does have wings and magical powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt, it feels almost, and again, having not read them, it feels like an excuse for her to make it seem more, like, exotic and more taboo. But, like... There's, they're just normal dudes. There's a whole lot to unpack there with the characterization of these people, of these of mm-hmm. these fae. So um, I don't want to get too deep into that, but this is just your reminder that there's a lot of problems with Sarah J. Moss's books or per- her portrayal of these characters and in general um, the actions that she takes outside of, of her writing. So this is not an SJM stand podcast at all. <laughs> no, and I... Um, look forward to eventually like forming, reading them so I can form my own opinions and know more about it generally. But and then the the other thing I know about the folk of the air books is that I've seen enough TikToks to know that it was like it's kind of been like marketed as romance, but it's really more of a political. Like poli- there's a lot more politics involved, which actually makes me more excited to read it. Yeah, I think that's because a lot of, like, book talk tends to focus on romance and spiciness as, like, the main driver of enjoying a book, which is fine, except I don't think that's a major theme in The Folk of the Air, and I don't really want to spoil anything, but I will say that, like, that is not something the main character is after at all. Mm -hmm. It's all political for her. So the romance definitely takes a backseat. Very interesting. But yeah, that definitely seems to be, and, like, holding strong as, like, the monster boyfriend that reigns supreme um, in today's trends. Yes. But the other one that we have seen and commented on very briefly before is Ghost Boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We both loved, obviously, Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. Right. Very pure. Um, I think it's the only Ghost Boyfriend book I know of. Sure. Um, I also read uh, How to Hang a Witch earlier this year or last year i don't know time is meaningless um but that was really interesting although i guess she's like technically a witch or she's like a descendant from the salem witches but i don't think she really does any witchcraft so i think it still counts as our like predetermined arbitrary definition of a monster book um monster boyfriend book i know nothing about it so i'm just gonna say it counts but anyway yeah she um she definitely falls for a ghost and it's you know i've never really been into like ghosts in terms of like paranormal romance or interests but like in this one i I really i was on board yeah that's good to know maybe i'll give it a shot because i feel like ghost ghost boyfriends are fun Mm -hmm. i don't know that a demon boyfriend would be fun but you did bring up the invisible life of Addie larue um and luke yeah, sure. That again, that doesn't seem fun to me. Fun is not the word I would use there. Luke can get it, in my opinion. 
but I'm sure that's not surprising based on everything you know about me. Yeah, I mean, same, but also just the, the like, you know, the other aspects of it. I just think kind of like with angels, demons are harder to pull off. And there are, like, obviously multiple different ways you can come from, like, the demon side of things. But, mm-hmm. again, it's just not something we've seen a whole lot of. Yeah, at least definitely not in literature. Like, I think... and. I just keep coming back to Supernatural. I don't even think we've brought it up yet, but, like, angels and demons and, like, all of these creatures appear in Supernatural, but that's much more about, like, it's much more of, like, a thriller horror action show than it is about dating them, unless you're you're Dean and Castiel. I was going to say that, but even then, like, I feel like, not saying that the shipping is a stretch, but saying that that's the point of the story is a stretch. Yeah, 100%. Um, you can ship whoever you like, and they can claim they didn't queer code however much they want, but it definitely wasn't, like, meant to be a monster boyfriend story, so I, I feel like Supernatural doesn't quite fit here. Yeah, I think that that is a really good point. It's just what I keep thinking of as we're, like, dreaming of, like, what other monster boyfriends could there be? Um, and we're going to get into that, but we just want to take a little bit of a turn to get a little bit more serious, I really thought that this episode was just going to be like, oh, super fun. What monster book boyfriends have we read? Do we like? What do we think is going to be the next trend? Um, but then the more <laughs> I researched it, the more like serious I got and more um, information I found. Um, so we just want to kind of touch on that. And most of these points are going to come from, I watched Lindsay Ellis's video, My Monster Boyfriend, which is mostly about The Shape of Water, but she talks a lot about, like, the rise and fall of the trends of, like, monsters as romantic interests. And Lindsay Ellis tends to focus a lot on, like, visual media more than books in this mm-hmm. in this particular video essay, but also in a lot of her video essays. So it is, I watched most of it as well. It's just a little bit different than what we normally focus on, but I think it's worth talking about this sort of progression. Yeah, it's not directly related to, like, most of what we were talking about, the trends in YA, but I think it's very relevant to, like, the overall trend of monsters in media. But she talks about how monster media shifted in, like, the late 1900s from this thing of, like, everyone needs to band together to kill the monster that is threatening um, society or more accurately like the purity of this white woman that the monster has taken captive and it shifted away from that into wanting to more closely examine like the difference between internal and external beauty as well as um, either eliminating like the white dude love interest or making him an antagonist so this became really um, evident with like Disney's Beauty and the Beast, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, or like The Phantom of the Opera, where the monsters in that are all shown to be, if not like good, or if not like a specific love interest for the main girl, like in Hunchbacks or in Phantom, they're at least not fully demonized. Right. They're they're shown a lot more, they're afforded a lot more of a multifaceted appearance. And it is focusing a bit more on like the monster being quote unquote humanized, um, and definitely the the original portrayal of monsters in these movies is pretty horrific in terms of mm-hmm. the threatening the institution of society. Oh, I think I'm glad we've gotten away from that, but we'd be remiss not to 
say that that does shape our media even to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because the monsters are often like, if not intentional allegorical representations, at least, um, at least it it it's pretty clear in a lot of especially older mo- um, movies that they're allegories for people of color, immigrants, queer people, or like basically anyone that white society finds scary or like threatening to their way of life. Um, yeah. So these monsters are the others that are risking specifically white women in most of these movies but like that's the allegory for like society as we know it and and, and quote it uh, i don't want to say like like it because obviously we don't but that's what these were showing was like these monsters are threatening the way that we live our life mm-hmm. and whereas now there's tends to be much more of an empathetic compassionate uh, read on the monsters where they're getting to kind of reclaim the narrative and we're getting to kind of examine that like oh the people that or the monsters that we were scared of are like have their own lives and hopes and dreams and aren't necessarily evil just because we aren't familiar with them which i think is an inversion that you can see in shrek when at the end fiona becomes an ogre instead of shrek becoming human is that everyone's so scared of shrek because they don't know him and they think he's ugly but at the end of the day, it's about what's on the inside, and that's why Fiona becomes an ogre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just totally inverting that that trope that like the monster has to turn into like a handsome prince at the end for him for his journey to have been worthwhile. Right. And uh, in the Lindsay Ellis video, she takes she um she has Lauren Redis or Redis One Hundred One on YouTube join to just give um a more nuanced and like my brain broke uh, a perspective of a queer person of color on kind of some of this interpretation, which is definitely worth watching. Um, but I think it's been clear that the way that these stories have been told more recently is like giving marginalized community the ability to like reclaim some of that narrative. Right. And as you said, I'm not sure how it applies exactly to some of the books that we've talked about before. I mean, I feel like actually drawing things to, to Twilight is, is pretty easy, but I feel like the Twilight being bad because Mormon has been talked to death and we don't need to break that back down. Um, yeah, I I think it's interesting. I feel like Stephanie Myers and um, SJM and basically everyone who is writing like monster romances um, or I'm going to not every like white lady that's been writing monster romances is basically taking this trend that I think shifted in a meaningful way like to like we talked about give um people that had been othered like their narrative back i think it's been like made popular that way and then all these white ladies are like cool now we can write about vampires um and i think that that's obviously a very simplified take on it but i don't think that sarah j moss or stephanie myers or even most of the people writing about monster boyfriends are taking into account this like cultural nuance Absolutely not. And I think that's why if I spent a lot of time in thought process, we could lay that out on how these all connect. But like on the surface, as with much of what our media is influenced by, you don't see it right away. Mm-hmm. It's not an immediate parallel, but it's the connection is there or the lack thereof because they say, oh, this is popular now. I can do it, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, all this is 
like Bailey has mentioned, not directly tied into what we've been talking about, but I just, I would have felt bad if we didn't like mention it at all, having learned it and just um, kind of having at least a part of that conversation regarding like the monster romance trope. Right. The portrayal of monsters is not always a good romantical interest for the main character. So, to bring it back around a little lighthearted, Katie, I do want to ask, <laughs> who would be your, like, favorite monster boyfriend? Uh, you know what? I think that I was so traumatized from after I exited my loving Twilight phase into my, like, hating Twilight at all costs phase that I it took me a while to really land on this. But I do think I have to go back to vampires, you know? Um, Angel and Spike from Buffy and like Damon from the Vampire Diaries. Lord knows we know how you feel about Damon. Yeah. We know how I feel about Damon. I I think there's something just really appealing about like a broody ancient guy who chooses to be obsessed with like a presumably normal girl and also in so many red flags. But I feel like I'm on the record as enjoying fictional tropes. Um, in a way that's totally removed from reality. So, you know. Enjoying fictional red flags. Yeah, don't listen to any person in real life who starts doing this to you. But, like, fictionally, when I'm reading or watching it, I'm really into it. Um, so, yeah, I like I like vampires. I like there's, like, an element of danger, but they can be, like, protective and possessive. I feel like werewolves are too scary because they're too, like, m- monstery. And I'm really just, like, not into, like, non-human anatomy. So, like fairies with like the wings and the tails freaks me out or like um aliens with non-human anatomy freak me out so i think i'm gonna stick to um vampires i'm gonna go out on a limb here and i'm gonna go ahead and say that um non-human anatomy being not a like being gross to you is like it's pretty fine that's pretty fine um (laughs) i would not paint that as a bad thing No, for uh, no, for sure. I just I don't want to like demonize people who are into non-human anatomy. Like that's totally fine. No. It's just not for me. What about what about the teeth? Do those not count as non-human anatomy? I mean, we like we kind of naturally don't forget about the pinchers. I love that scene. Yeah, we like already have pointy. Like if they're too pointy, whatever. And then I feel like in a lot of vampire media nowadays, they like are retractable. I was so just about to say that that in like modern vampire stories, it's like they might as well not have fangs except for like the moment they're biting you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Bailey? What What's your favorite monster boyfriend? I am probably gonna have to go with um old school Faye. Probably just because that's like what I grew up on. It's like reading like the fae and the elves of those older stories where they are a little more like aloof and leith and powerful and stuff like that um yeah the the ripped boys of modern fairies are hot or whatever but like why have a basically human boyfriend with the same fucking anger issues but now he has wings i'm not <laughs> into it yeah none of us need that toxic issue in our life um in our fictional love interest life no, you're totally right. I feel like I'm going to have to go back and read some of these old school fey books to get a, a better idea of what you're talking about, because it sounds very interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it, it definitely does have part of to do with, like, just what I was really into when I was younger. Kind of like you with the vampires, especially, like, Vampire Diaries type and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Angel, Spike, yeah, fair. I don't know. I'm kind of with you on the werewolf thing. You know, I, I was definitely into Taylor Lautner back in the day. 
Sure. I mean, who wouldn't be? And, uh... But I just... Dylan O'Brien. Yeah, he was not a werewolf on the show, though, so... See, I don't know anything about Teen Wolf. I just assumed he was. <laughs> what was he? He was just, um... He was, like, a human. I feel like they might have given him a power at the, like, at the end, in the later seasons, but he was best friends with, like, the main wolf character, and so he just got pulled into all the antics. Whatever, he's still hot. He... No, you're right. You're correct. What do you think, um, do you think we can pick out what the next big trend in Monster Boyfriends is going to be? So, yes and no, because I feel like we, we're running back out. Like, I I would be tempted to guess a new thing, and it's probably just going to be a recycled thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, although, as you pointed out with the aliens, like, Ice Planet Barbarians probably counts, but is also kind of in the monster fucking variety. Oh books. no, it's 100% in the monster fucking variety of books. I just thought it we would be remiss not to mention it at all. Well, I feel like we were talking it, about aliens. It could reasonably spawn like m- less romancy type books. Mhm. Uh, but yeah, that's mm, anyway, um speaking of aliens that are blue. Avatar, <laughs> you can tell how much it pained me to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> we we did briefly talk about Avatar, the 2009 film, um, the James Cameron film, because that one's that one's tricky because the male human love interest has an avatar where he's basically an alien. Mm-hmm. So it's like eh. he's human and an alien, but he but he's in love with the with the alien girlfriend, right? That's a, that's a monster girlfriend, correct? But but like not as a human because he has okay yeah they're not they're not interacting as yeah yeah they're not interacting as human monster i see what you're saying um and then i think doctor who does give like some background for alien boyfriend except it's always unrequited and also the way doctor who is played like yes he is an alien but ostensibly he's human in so many ways Mm -hmm. in appearance yeah he doesn't have like powers that he like he uses in everyday life other than like a spaceship and a sonic screwdriver and like his ability to regenerate is not like a it's not like an everyday life power his alien powers are his technology right although i will say i have read um or seen a lot of doctor who doctor who fan fiction where they give him non-human anatomy and it has scarred me for life please never share please stop now (laughs) i think the whole thing is that you know it's a tv show that was made before special effects were amazing and so he's he's fairly human except (laughs) like he has two hearts or whatever so it's uh, and again like he it's never really a full romantic relationship because of who the doctor is Mm -hmm. so um i do i go ahead oh i just don't think that we're gonna see aliens as a big trend because it it so quickly veers into like aliens are always portrayed as so so different from us. Hmm. Um. Well, I don't. So I have not read these books yet. I have been meaning to for ages. Um. But when I was doing some research, I found that um back to Lindsay Ellis, her books um with Axiom's End and Truth of the Divine. Uh, I think. They feature an alien boyfriend, and I think it's like a fully, like not humanoid alien. I don't know 
anything about them, and I agree with you that I don't really want to look them up to, like, get a full spoiler on accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, like, kind of saw something, and I was like, oh, interesting. I'm not going to look further into it, because I want to read this book soon. Um, But, and I also, (laughs) side note, learned that it's partially inspired by the Hades and Persephone story. (laughs) And I don't know why we just cannot escape the Hades and Persephone retellings. Look, They're okay, fucking we, everywhere. we read Neon Gods, and we have a lot of opinions on Neon Gods, actually. Um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. But I just couldn't get over the fact that it's, like, barely a retelling. It's not a retelling. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I've read at least, like, two other Hades and Persephone retellings this year, right. I think. Yeah, I just... And they're very popular. I just thought I that was funny. don't super want to sidetrack us on that, so I will stop. <laughs> No, but anyway, uh, in terms of aliens, the, it is it is happening at least in Lindsay Ellis's books, I think. Oh, um, but again, not going to look it up to confirm it. Um, but let's just go through. Let's just like hypothetical some other some other possible monster boyfriends. Um, oh, I know we mentioned zombies. So obviously, uh, Warm Bodies, two thousand thirteen, with Nicholas Holt, uh, Tony Stoneham. Always have to convince myself to call him by his real name and not the skins <laughs> character that he portrayed. But I never watched Warm Bodies, and that's really zombies so far have always been like bad monster. Well, yeah, zombies typically are portrayed as like rotting and like not having like functional like brains, right? Other than the ones that they eat, right? Sorry, Bailey's mad at me for that. I think. I did a finger gun afterwards. She did. So I probably deserve it. She doubled down on it. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. I'm, so that's really all we have to say about zombies. I think until someone decides to write, like, a zombie that isn't a mindless, brain-eating creature, there's not going to be, like, really good zombie romance boyfriend stories because you just have to change the whole... Um, trope of zombies mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about demons and like Addie larue and i think luke probably counts as a demon but i think he might also count as like a god and i was gonna bring up like literal actual gods as a potential monster boyfriend um i don't know again touching on hades and persephone i don't know if um all of the trends of like greek retellings has already made this a trend i don't think that it necessarily falls into like the loosely defined monster boyfriend category that we made at the top of the show. Um, But I think it's a possibility. Right. It would have to be less of a retelling and more of like one of the already established like gods meeting an OC. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like if you're just retelling it, or I guess if you decided to tell the story of Zeus and all of the human women that he like had half- Mm -hmm god babies with raped as swan as a swan or whatever yes this is not cool saw a very funny tiktok the other day about like women and swans and zeus and it was a dude in his bed sheet in the park and he left in a clip where some lady is in the background like cheering him on like i don't know what you're doing but i like it (laughs) i think i also saw that one he he was like what i imagine the like people thought women were like because a lot of people i guess apocryphally like blamed the women for getting raped by zeus in myths um yes so he was running around next to a lake and saw a bunch of swans he's like i bet one of you swans is zeus why don't you come fuck me and this is precisely about when that lady like walked by him Mm -hmm. um 
It was a very good TikTok. I enjoyed it. Speaking of TikToks, did you want to talk about this gargoyles, Katie? Yeah, yeah. So I was scrolling. I was like searching TikTok for monster boyfriends. um, And I found one about gargoyles. And I think what got me is that she started off with a bunch of pictures from... Did you ever watch the Gargoyles animated show? No. As a kid? My exposure to gargoyles is from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, cool. Well, um... There was a TV show, I think, called Gargoyles, or it was at least about gargoyles. Um, And I watched a bunch as a kid. And so she included a bunch of, like, screenshots or, like, artwork from that show. And I was like, you know what? I Like, I can see it. But anyway, um, I saw a TikTok about a gargoyle romance book called Flesh and Stone by Emily Hemingway. And, you know, I think think it could take off under the right circumstances. Okay. I'll leave you to figure that one out. I know we've made many jokes about who did which horrible reading thing, but I still read the deal, and um, I guess you can get Flesh and Stone. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to Nicole for saying, Bailey, I should have listened to you about the deal. (laughs) For sure. Okay, so I never saw The Shape of Water. I didn't either, except for the clips in the Lindsay Ellis video that I know we both just watched. Yeah. So I don't I don't know a lot about like mer people or fish people or anything like that. Um I, So the shape of water is specifically he like he's just a fish dude. Um I right. know that much. But I think that there is a po- like a potential for mer people book boyfriends or like book spouse book partners. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of the premise of like a siren too? Sometimes sirens have crossover with mer people type. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and when I was thinking of this, I Like, I need to give somebody all of my money for a sapphic little mermaid. I think that that would slap so hard. Right. I'm also, like, that got me thinking about how few, like, you know, we we did a whole episode on retellings and how there's all these retellings. The Little Mermaid basically never came up. I feel like we might have found one. I don't know if we ended up, like, touching on it, but now I'm not remembering it. Is it it Luca? (laughs) It's not Luca. Okay. Although, Luca is a good example of of fish people boyfriends. Yeah. Although, again, they are... They're both monsters, so right. I don't think it counts. And also they're children, so I could definitely see um a little mermaid retelling working as as um monster partner. Okay. Yeah, so I think I no no no, I figured it out. You don't have to give anybody oh. money, just tell Zach that's the book he has to write. He can forget historical <laughs> fiction and bodice rippers. He has to write um a sapphic retelling of the little mermaid. I am sure that he will get right on that. Once, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think that there's always going to be like a new trend in monster boyfriends because I think we're always going to be fascinated by like the paranormal or the different or the unusual. I don't think that's ever going to go away. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I think it's probably we're going to get vampires until the end of time especially because vampires live forever which is like part of their charm well and i guess Um, because they like started out human and so they're the closest thing to human besides like maybe ghosts you know that is a really good point um and i i'm glad you brought that up i i also we didn't really touch on ghosts i kind of like the idea of ghosts except i don't like the idea of a boyfriend or a monster partner that you can't like touch or that you can't ever like be with alive so right. I think ghosts is really hard to pull off. Are you implying that vampires are alive? I mean, they're, they're 
They're corporeal. They're corporeal. Corporeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. They're corporeal. Mm. Okay. That might be part of it too. Not to derail us at the very end, but no, I think it's a good. I think it's a good thing to to cover why. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why. Um. So that why, why don't zombies work then? Zombies are corporeal. Bailey. <laughs> She can't even keep a straight face. <laughs> no, I can't. That was not a serious question. We don't need rotting flesh. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry. Thank, thank you. Thanks. Anyways, with that as the last resounding line in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Please keep thinking about rotting flesh. <laughs> Why did you do it again? I don't know. Because now it's all I can think about. <laughs> Uh, I seem to have derailed us far more than your discussion about whether vampires or ghosts were more likely. But you know what? That's fine. It's fine because we are right. And we should say it. a glass of wine let's start reading in between the lines never know what we might find yeah it could be magic oh to glasses is hosted by bailey utrecht and katie phillips our theme song is by anna voss and our logo is by baby truth collections Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help. And check out our socials at Pros Tinted Pod. Bye.